Welcome to the In The Cut Fantasy Sports Podcast with your hosts, John Fish and Ryan Venancio. What's up, everybody? Welcome in episode 23 of the In the Cut Fantasy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, John Fish, joined as always by Ryan Venancio. What's up, Ryan? What's going on, Fish? It's uh, negative a million degrees in New Jersey, and I have like six shirts on bundled up in my room. Yeah, we had a high of six here today in Wisconsin, so that was um, that was great. But now we got a heat wave, and it's supposed to be up into the 30s, I think, tomorrow. So um, shorts, T-shirt, uh, we'll be ready to go. Um, but yeah, we got uh, rivalry night tonight, our third edition. We got Mets versus Braves, representing the New York Mets. We got Rob DiPietro. What's up, Rob? Hey, what's up, John? Ryan, um, thank, thank you for having me. Um, in the Cart Podcast, man. My new favorite podcast. You guys are killing it. So I just wanted to let you guys know that I appreciate what you guys are doing. And uh, you're putting in the work, putting out good stuff. And uh, it's good to have you on the scene, man. I think we all inspire each other to be better. And it's it's pretty cool. But I'm, I'm happy to be here. And um, I'm ready to uh, talk a little Mets Braves. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the kind words. Appreciate it. Representing the Braves, we have Chris Clegg. What's up, Chris? Hey guys, uh, good to be on. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, I got my uh, World Series champion flag behind me. If you're if you're watching, Woo! you know, had to have that in the in the video, of course, as it's rivalry <laughs> night. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as uh, as become accustomed for the rivalry night, um, I said it on the on the previous two. Uh, instead of the boxing bell going off and touching the gloves we can't do that since we're all virtual so uh, our version is to say something nice about the other person's team so rob we'll start with you uh do you have one nice thing to say about the braves um yeah yeah i do i do um i say one of my favorite non-met players i mean you know and i just love baseball players in general i don't just cater all time to the mets but um chipper jones was like just a great, a great athlete, great baseball player. Just one of my favorite players, even as being a Met fan. And, um, you know, he named his son after Shea Stadium. And I just think that's, that's cool, you know? So that's, you know, I think he recognized how special of a place it was, you know, that he did so well in it and uh, that he wanted to name his son. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, and, and I don't know, I, I grew up, you know, watching the Mets, watching the Yankees. But I think when the Braves came on um, Turner and they were on all the time, you know, it was the other games that me and my brothers went to when those games were out of commercial or if they weren't on. Um, So was constantly, if it wasn't watching the Mets, it was watching the Braves. And, uh, you know, they built a great, great foundation back then, just mastered a whole bunch of years going to the playoffs and, you know, I think they brought out like the best in the rest of the league. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about the Braves. Good things. Chris, how about you? One nice thing about the, the Mets? Well, you have an amazing owner, obviously. I mean, willing to spend whatever to win. So I'm a little jealous. I think everybody's jealous of, of Steve Cohen and the willingness to spend. But yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the rivalry's always been a big part of the fandom. But yeah, growing up, I remember like Mike Piazza, you know, that's 
He's one of the best catchers. Always grew up love watching him. Pete Alonso is one of my favorite players now to watch. Like I just love Alonso, man, the way he plays the game, just the intensity that he brings to the plate. So, and the rotation is going to be nasty. I'm highly envious of Scherzer, Verlander. You just go down the list of guys and just just nuts, man. So I think it's going to be a, a really intense battle for the the NLE's crown as it was last year, you know, it came down to the, the last series and I expect it to be the case again, especially the Phillies, you know, the Phillies should be better. So the NL East is going to be really fun this year to see who can, if anybody can pull away, which I doubt, but may come down to the last week again. And just showing like um, the Braves just and the match, they both have styles right now that are successful. You know, the Braves are just, Breaking the bank, uh, breaking the records on sign, like signing the best deals possible, locking up their guys young, and you know, good farm. So they're establishing a certain way that they're just going to continue being better. And the Mets, you know, I think one thing I do like about Cohen though, and it's not just like a willy nilly style with the younger kids. I think we'll talk about that later, but it's, it's, they're being a little patient. They're not doing like drastic moves that they may have done before. So I kind of, you know, they like trading Pete Crow Armstrong, you know, <laughs> that, that would be one of the things, but I, you know, um, I think they're, they held on to Alvarez last year and they just kept a lot of their guys that they could have possibly moved to make, you know, their team a little better last year. So I think they're looking at, both sides of the table and i think that's mirrored off the braves you know because they're doing it right and uh the copycat league so a lot of teams are going to try to do that yeah 100 percent um i love a lot of the prospects on the mets um but again we'll get to that later um chris we'll start with your first question uh how long have you been a baseball slash braves fan for um and if you want to also give us your favorite player um of all time on the Braves. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I grew up around the game, started T-ball at a young age, and that's kind of where it all developed, I guess. And, you know, living in South Carolina, there's no major league team close by other than Atlanta. So pretty much if you live anywhere in the southeast, for the most part, you root for the Braves. And, you know, my grandpa lived in Georgia, you know, pretty close by to Atlanta, as well as my uncle. So they took me to my first game which probably in 03, 02, 03. Um, I you know, kind of remember it was against the Marlins. I remember that. I remember Javi Lopez hitting a, a bomb. I think it was the year he hit 43. Like, so that was, uh, that was some of my first memories like at, at Turner before obviously they went to Truist Park. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess I always, like Rob said, like they were just on TV. Like, you know, you come home from school and like they're the ones on TV. Like I remember the Cubs always being on, um, TV in the afternoon and the Braves were, would be on Turner and like it was just easy to watch so from a young age like just playing baseball like just watching I guess the local team per se just kind of fell in love with the Braves and so I guess it probably dates back to you know, early 2000s I mean I'm I'm kind of young here so it's I was born in 94 so like I don't remember the 95 World Series like other than what I've watched like later in life, but you know, I don't remember when it happened and that sort of stuff. But I do remember like as a young boy just watching and then going to my first game. So I guess that's probably when it starts like the early two thousands. And, you know, as Rob said, like Chipper, like Chipper was my guy, like growing up, like 
you know, I wanted to bat like him. I wanted to be a switch hitter like him. I'm a left-handed hitter who uh, threw right-handed. So, like, I always tried to imitate Chipper's batting stance. And I was like, I'm going to switch hit, too, to be like Chipper. Didn't really work. I was much better from the left side. But uh, <laughs> So, I tried to imitate, like, pretty much everything about his game and play third base, all that stuff. So, yeah, Chipper was, was the guy back in the day. Oh, yeah, Chip, Chipper was the man. And um, just so good at every aspect of, of the game. It's no surprise that he was uh, – First ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so, Rob, we'll go to you next. Um, how long have you been a baseball slash Mets fan for? And if you want to give us your favorite Mets player of all time. Uh, yeah, man. So, I've pretty much been a Mets fan since I can remember, like, day one in the diapers. I mean, looking back at all my mom's photos, just pictures of me in Mets gear. And it was an interesting situation because my dad, he was a Brooklyn Dodger fan. Um, he went to the games there and then he was kind of a little bit of a Yankee fan after that. But, uh, my oldest brother was a Yankee fan. And, uh, I think me and my two other younger brothers were, we, we just wanted to go against the, the Yankees. So we became the Met fans in the family. So the legend goes, but, um, yeah. And I, I have early memories of the Mets. Great memory. Um, um, the year they won the World Series in 1986, uh, Dallas Strawberry is my favorite player. I did like I ate strawberry things, strawberry pancakes, strawberry <laughs> frosting out of the tub, like a you know pure fat kid would do. Um, it was just that I just love everything about Dow. And uh, my brother went to the game where they won the pennant, and they stormed the field. Um, I actually have some videotape of it, and that hat that's hanging. That hat that's right over there is a hat that my brother ripped right off of Daryl's head. And, um, no way. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Got the 18 on it. Um, that's, that's legit. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Pretty. It was, I mean, if you look at the videos from it, it's pretty wild. Like they tore up the ground. Um, my baseball glove had Dr. K on it. You know, I had it written in. I love pitching, you know, that, and that was my thing. Doc Gooden on the mound. I just wanted to strike everyone out like he did, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Then then you had, like, the Piazza days. That was kind of like the, you know, a little bit of a savior from the, the dip they went into a little bit. And then you had, like, my favorite, you know, like the most games I went to was when – it it was David Wright and Reyes and Delgado and Beltran. Uh, those seats were I mean, just amazing watching. Jose Reyes was like my favorite guy to watch live just to go there. And like, you might get a lead off triple, like good chance actually. Like he did it quite some time. I was there. He just let off a, a game with something exciting. Like the pl- the place goes crazy in New York when, when, when he was just legging out extra base hits or stealing bases um, but I had some fun times too. Like we had a friend who had box seats, um, for the, uh, Shea stadium and this was like in the mid nineties, late nineties. And, um, they would call us late when no one wanted the ticket. They would just see if we wanted to go. So we would drive on up there. Uh, my brother would take me and my friends and front row seats. It was great. Like we had four seats and then it was the gate to get on to the field and, we used to get there and just get everyone's autographs and, and talk to the players. And so my brother, 
Frank, his thing was he would get there and he would get the program. He would learn the umps names and he never said anything bad, but he was all about conversating. You know, he's like, Hey Jim, how you doing, Jim? You know, we just like, and he just nodded and said, how you doing? Like, you know, we just like conversate with them, you know, because I think it, they taught me how to kind of like, you know, work the field a little bit as a fan, you know, like you can be nice mm -hmm. to the fans and to the umps, to the players and they'll respond um, and they'll give you more. So it was pretty cool, but he used to, you know, he, 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 I remember the Braves games, he would go, Hey, Larry, you know, and that's Chipper's name is Larry. And hey, hey, Larry. <laughs> okay. And like, every day, hey, hey, Larry, come on. I know your name is Larry. He would look over and smile and he'd throw his hands up, you know? And uh, <laughs> it was so funny. You know, we, we just do crazy stuff like that. So I had so many good memories with the Mets and, um, you know, lasted so long. You know what's crazy too? Game uh, game seven of the World Series when they won was I was I was six years old and you know what I was can't you guys can't even guess where I was you know I didn't even have no choice in the matter obviously I was six years old my parents and brothers took me wherever they wanted to take me but I was at a Lionel Richie concert at Madison Square Garden and <laughs> Lionel Richie would give us the updates in between like songs he'd like give us the game updates you know I just remember I just I mean I was really young but I remember just getting off the train into Brooklyn, um, where we lived, and just everyone in the streets, you know, like uh, flashing, like nothing crazy. No one was flipping fucking cars over like these crazy people do now. We, everyone was like uh, embracing each other. It was like love in the air. And um, so I saw many good memories of the Mets. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Chris, uh, favorite, favorite, um, memory of the uh the rivalry with the Mets that you have oh man that's a good question and I, on the sheet when you're talking about 99 NLCS like I said I was too young to remember that I've gone back and watched you know all that but golly that's uh I don't know I don't you know I should have had a better answer because I looked over the sheet but here I am and like I don't really have like a like that's probably like one of the more iconic moments like in my life, like that in LCS. But I guess I would say like would be this year, like the series to clinch the division because one being there and to just the fact that it came down to that, like the intense series that it was. Mm -hmm. So like, I guess that would probably top my list that I just from, from the aspect of being there and such, you know, so much on the line for the division and, and I, I guess I'll go with that answer, but yeah. Yeah. And beating, you know, the Mets top three starters like that yeah. was, you know, that was just like the, the, the cherry on the top, but, um, and, and not being, not being a fan of either team. I walked, I was locked into all three of those games. Those were playoff games. Yeah. Like, the, like it was playoff atmosphere. Um, just really fun game again, even though the Braves won all three, they were just really good games. Yeah. And they had to win. They're like, if they didn't win all three, like the Mets were winning the division, like they knew they had to sweep. And they did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All eyes were definitely on uh, on that series, which always makes it fun. It, it, the, even better that it was the regular season too. You know, it kind of it reminded me a little bit of those Dodgers and Padres series, um, yeah. you know, uh, from a couple years ago. But um, Rob, what about you? What's your uh, favorite memory? I, I know you already said, you know, a few of the just memories in general with the Mets, but um, what about with the rivalry with, uh, with Atlanta? 
Uh, it's no brainer. It's my favorite baseball moment of all time is when Piazza hit the home run, <clears throat> the first game after 9 11. Um, smacked it. Steve Carsey, Steve Carsey, I mean, just gave Piazza the perfect meatball and, uh, just like crazy, um, crazy moment, you know, crazy moment, <clears throat> excuse me, moment in time. Uh, you know, uh, I think all of us could probably say it was like, uh, 9-11 was just a moment where everything, like a lot of things changed, like every, like people changed that day, you know, and, um, you, you just, this, the state of mind everyone was in and then just what a crazy moment. Like it was meant to be like, that was meant to be Mike Piazza's moment. I think like without a doubt that was like scripted if it was ever possible, you know? So that was my favorite uh, Met brave moment. I was going to say, Rob, if that wasn't uh, your choice, I was going to mention that because I remember <laughs> even though, even though I was young, like that, that home yeah. run was absolutely insane. I remember watching with my whole family and it was just nuts. Um, the go ahead home run in the eighth inning. Uh, it's like one of my favorite baseball moments ever, not just like Met moments. I remember um, like every, there was one time I watched it. I, I watched the replay and like Piazza literally, um, you could just see like he met the pitch in a certain, like he had that uppercut follow-up thing, you know, and he just generated so much power and loft that way. And um, it just seemed like that specific pitch almost like it was like a video game that he had a power up button, you know, and like you can just, it mm -hmm. was like a swing stick or something on the show. Like you, like, you know, like it just looked perfect. <laughs> it was the most perfect swing ever. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And Piazza, even though like he is a hall of famer still, he's, uh, he's one of the, one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, just an incredible, incredible offensive player. Um, Where would he go right now in the NFBC guys? Yeah, Where would you take a three a three forty batting average and thirty eight homers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I mean, if JT like, Romuto is a second round pick, he'd have to be a first round pick. Yeah, I pretty sure. That's like a that's like a um you know a, a Vlad type year, you know, like and Vlad you know early peak year, but Piazza did that consistently. Crazy. Yeah, really was the one five. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um. Now, Rob, we'll start with you because, again, Chris, I know we were really young, but still I, I remember this series really well, even uh, as young as I was because I grew up. Uh, my dad is a really big Mets fan. Um, the Robin Ventura walk-off Grand Slam single on the 99 NLCS, um, and then the Braves, unfortunate for Rob, end up winning on a walk-off walk. I believe Al Leiter was pitching and walked uh, walked in the running, winning run to lose. Uh, Rob, is that when you – began to start hating the Braves or not hate, but, you know, disliking the Braves. Is that kind of when the rivalry started for you? Um, I don't know. It's a, it's hate, hate's a big word. So, and like, I'm not, I'm all about like, you know, bantering and doing some good trash talk, but I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really care what happened, you know, to, I'm not threatening ill will on Yankee fans or Braves fans. <laughs> like, um, no, no, of but not. I'd say like, honestly, um, I don't know if that was the moment, you know, like the, cause the season before we, we had a chance for a wild card and um, the Braves uh, just didn't let us get there. We were in the, in the wild card lead and they swept us. And I think the Cubs ended up overtaking us. Um, I guess, 
Oh man. Actually, you know, so here, here's my dislike for the Atlanta Braves. And it's just totally this is where the any dislike started. So I was 14 years old. My brother took me to Atlanta. He had a work thing. So I loved Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders was like my my first favorite base um football player. I had the Falcons jersey. So my brother's like, hey, they're playing at home. Dion's playing. I'll take you. We can go see the game. We got a tour of the Georgia Dome. It was like brand new. And the Olympics had just announced that it was going to be there in 96. So like the, the town was buzzing, you know. I got a, I got a, you know, I still have my Olympic t-shirt. Um, anyway, fucking Dion, check this out. <laughs> We're hanging out. We're in the, I don't know, making up the deck. And on the scoreboard, it says... Deion Sanders has been traded to the New York Yankees for Roberto Kelly. Um, and holy shit. Can you imagine? Like, yo, man, I have my Falcon jersey on. I was ready to see Dion. And the fucking Braves traded him. You know, that was, you know, that's, they ruined my trip, man. You know, I had a Hard Rock Cafe fucking keychain and a glass mug. It was a nice trip until. They traded Dion. It was not necessary, man. It was not necessary. Um, so that's where probably like my dislike came from. But you know that 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 whole series, that '99 series, was insane. You know, um, that was. Oh yeah, yeah. But so I mean, that's another another. You know, it's not even a brave dislike though. It was just a human being dislike. John Rocker, obviously, it's a big bag of shit, and. Um, <laughs> You know, like even Braves fans will admit that it's crazy though because because like you know it happened a long time ago, uh, especially how much the world has changed. When I think I saw the video maybe five six years ago, I haven't seen that clip in a long time. But I I mean I I read the words. I read the I'm like Jesus Christ. I can't I can't be like if someone said that right now they would be suspended. Suspended. It, it, oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, and and listen, um, was the the subway is a crazy place. It's a circus. You know, there, there's there'll be you know people with four arms in there. Like there's 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 just a you'll see everything on the subway. Um, but that was just so wild. But uh, yeah, so rocker, rocker in the trade, man. They didn't have to trade Dion. <laughs> yeah, the timing of that is just couldn't they just wait a couple days until you were gone at least? You it was a great him. trip with my brother, man. And then he just oh, what an uppercut. <laughs> uh, um yeah, let's uh <clears throat> we'll just real quick oh, to kind of end the one thing one thing about that series, uh John Smoltz um saved game two, right? And then he mm -hmm. started game four. Um, seven innings, seven strikeouts. I just remember one that that was like, I don't know that that it's just an amazing, amazing dual asset that he was. Like he he could have probably been anything. Like he played any role that he wanted to play. Um, it was it, it was pretty insane. I just wanted to note that it was one of the things I remember about the brave side of it. Um, you know, um, 
But you know what? A lot of those games back then, 98, 99, came down to like Greg Maddox versus fucking, I don't know, Armando Reynoso, you know? Like that's who actually pitched to, you know, the last game of the season to get into the playoffs in 98. Like Armando Reynoso, and it's like five Ks per nine. And yeah, yeah go up against Greg <laughs> Maddox. Yeah, fucking it reminds great. me like, of... It reminds me of the I go to Brewers Dodgers game seven and it's Walker Bueller for the Dodgers against Eula Chassin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is terrific. I like our odds. Yeah, the Mets the Mets were in that NLCS for because of their offense for sure. Not uh yeah, not, and, not and quite and the pitching depth the Braves have. Lighter pitched his, you know, pitched a great first game and it but just Kenny Rogers was horrible. He was one of the worst pitchers. He, I, I hated him. Like, I, I just, I mean, just watching him, he was so frustrating. He, he had that, that leg kick that looked like he, you know, that he had gout and he was seventy already. And I was like, come on, man! Like, you're an athlete. Look like you're an athlete. Oh God, he was terrible. He walked, he walked, I think nine guys in that series, and I think he gave up the actual the walk off walk that that won it. Terrible. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> um, uh, so just real quick to finish off the you know the uh the rivalry aspect of the podcast um chris we'll start with you uh who do you feel is going to win the nl east in 2023 i mean it's hard for me not to say atlanta but i do think it's probably a coin flip i, I really i wish i had a good answer but I think it's going to come down to the very end, and I don't know. I, I think if the Mets can stay healthy, I think that'll be the biggest factor. I think there's some – I mean, especially the rotation, like if they keep the starters healthy, like probably goes a long way for them. And if if, the, if that whole team stays healthy and they go out and get you know some guys at the deadline, they could potentially win like 115 games, and I don't think Atlanta's pushing that. I think both teams probably could break 100 again. But I, I will say I think it comes down to – the health factor of the Mets rotation, but it's going to be close and I'll take Atlanta because they've won what, five straight years. So we'll take them for another year. <laughs> Rob, how about you? Think the, think the Braves are taking it? Uh, I mean, I think like what Chris got, I mean, if the Mets have some perfect breaks and, but uh, you know, it could push a decent win total, but I don't know if they're like, I don't know. I think they tried to last year was crazy. Like they 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 really shouldn't have had to be in the position they were versus a Braves. They didn't handle their business versus the Cubs and the Pirates and it made just that series a lot harder. And I think they took care of some of the things that were lacking at that point of the year. Um I think they got the pitching depth, um, to handle any injuries and such, but you know, the, I mean, you look at the Braves roster and it's like hard to feel like, you know, yeah, like we're definitely going to win the division because they're not. Um, and they're so close, right? I mean, if you go to Fangraph's step chart and total team war, the Braves are at 53-1 and the Mets are right behind them at 52-4. They're third and fourth. So um, we know it's going to be a, a long run, a long fought season. Um, I, I, think, I think a second year on the buck, I really like that. I think all teams take like a huge growth um, from a good coach in the first season, but the second season you see even more. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be 
maybe we'll bring it back to that whole 98, 99 time where it was, you know, came down to the last game of the season to get into the playoffs again. So it'll be fun. One more question for you, Rob. Um, Mike the Mouth is um, not happy about the offense still. Uh, what do you What do you think? Do they, they need to add more bats? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, they. I think. I think the starting lineup is really solid. I think that you got Alvarez and Beatty, who may not even be forced to contribute, like. And and feel a burden to carry anything on the team. So I kind of like the depth. I think Fam is a good pickup. Um, he, I'm not the best outfielder, but I think he still is a really solid baseball player. The same thing with Connor. Like the, I think they have just um, enough to win games. You know, um, is it huge firepower? I think up at the top it is. You know, um, I think we saw them a lot of the year without Marte too. Uh, when everyone was clicking, they didn't really get a chance to all click at once. And um, it's pretty. I I think if Marte either bets, I don't know, second or sixth, uh, it's a pretty good. To me, that's a good offense right there. I think we'll get enough from the team to uh, score runs and win games. Um. So I mean, perfect transition to the fantasy section. You know, bringing up Beatty and Alvarez. Um, Rob will go into the Mets prospects. What are your thoughts on playing time for Beatty and Alvarez? Do you expect either or both to make a big impact in 2023? And are you drafting them in DCs? Uh, no, I actually don't have any of them yet. Um, okay. And I think, um, you know, Alvarez is more clear cut. Like, I I like it. You know, I, I think he obviously got a good hit tool we know what's there. I just think realistically they set themselves up with two catchers. Um, they're not going to force the issue. We don't need him right from the start either, you know. Um, but I think, you know, just gradually work him in and get a feel for the staff and everything. So I'm just not expecting a large plate appearance that I think right now in the D.C. I kind of – I like going up top more. Um with the early guys, like he goes around where Bethancourt and Fortes goes. And I know they're not as good as him, but it's, it's a tough area to count on. You know, I see that in the OC, you know, he, he has, um, he has a three fifteen ADP, So it's even higher. And I mean, fine. It's, it's February, you know, um, all of a sudden spring training comes and he's the starter or he's, on the team, great, you know? If not, you just drop them in an OC and you can get, like, catchers on the wall. So I think that's a, more of a decent price than draft champions. And Beatty, yeah, I, oh, man, I, it's not like I don't like him. But him, I think it's another spot, too, where um, I'm gobbling up, like, the last decent arms that can possibly pitch a good – like start a good game. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, no, yeah. That's just like a spot, a spot that it's just never really looking his way. Um, so I kind of like some corner guys after him and just got to get those, like the last decent set of arms before you're, you know, start taking a shot on some rookies and your safe specs later than that. So 
Nope, no, no to both. But um, I'm not opposed to it in fab leagues, you know. But in DCs, it's just a little too risky for me. No, I, I totally get that. Um, I think I'm higher on Beatty than most. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you agree because I know you're a big prospect dynasty guy as well. But I think Brett, I think Beatty's a 30 homer bat. Um, so maybe if I have a really secure third baseman, and like you said, Rob, like the more I do DCs the more you realize that pitch starting like quality starting pitching dries up so early this year. So you definitely want to grab, you know, I would say 10 or so starters before around, you know, before like early to mid thirties. Um, so yeah, it makes it tougher to draft those prospects like Beatty. Um, but again, uh, going back to Chris, um, do you think, do you think I'm crazy um, for that on Brett Beatty? Do you think he could be a 30 Homer bat? A hundred percent. And I'm not really sure why I, I, other than a contract, I don't really know why they're going to trout like, or tout Eduardo Escobar out there like every day, like his third baseman. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me when, when I think Beatty's more than ready and the bats really, really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the gloves fine. It's not like going to wow you, but is Escobar really that good at third base? I don't think so. I mean, the power here is just really insane. And, I've seen Beatty live a couple times in different stints in the Arizona Fall League last year and you know, some throughout the minors. And he just really gets to that power. The biggest issue has always been the ground balls. And I think that's probably going to hold him back. Now, we did see it drop significantly in double A last year, where he spent most of the year. He had near 400 plate appearances there. And the ground ball rate dropped from like 55% the previous year to 42.5%. But all the data, like 100% backs, like Beatty is a 30 home run bat. Like his 90th percentile EV in the minors last year was, you know, one of the best among all minor leaguers. So like 107.3 is very high. Like that puts you in like territory like Austin Riley and those type guys. And, you know, the average EV was 91.2. Hard hit data was really – hard hit rate was 51.6% last year in the minors. So like, yeah, I think you're 100% right that – could be a 30 home run bat and i think he's ready i mean the plate discipline skills are really good the contact skills are good i wouldn't put much stock into his small sample you know the 11 games he played in new york last year it's just not enough to to really make an opinion about him but i think Beatty's gonna post good batting averages just because the contact skills are there and he just hits the ball so hard which is going to enable him to run higher babbits and not, like that's kind of the recipe to success is like hit the ball hard hit it on the line and you're going to get on base and that's what he does. And yeah, I'm, I'm on board with saying he's a 30 home run bat at some point in his career. Yeah. Um, we're in lockstep with Beatty and Escobar as well. I know Rob might have some pushback, but Escobar really wasn't doing anything until he just had a monster September. And yeah, I know he had some, uh, there were uh, reports that he had some health issues, but I just think ba like the Mets have such an old, like veteran, ready team i think adding like a high upside young bat like Badian is like the perfect uh mix with that team again rob i don't know if you have anything else to add to that i mean yeah i mean at some point he might be platooning with escobar but i mean escobar had he he smashes smashes uh lefty so if at some point they're probably gonna at least platoon so that's why i think and i'm not really yeah, I love the skill. I have nothing against Brett Beatty. I just think realistically he's not going to get enough playing time um, to really make that happen, you know, um, his his pick right now. But 
I mean, Escobar is really good versus righties, you know, and he'll he'll continue to hit versus them, I think. Uh, maybe back up McNeil at second, and then you could put Beatty. And he becomes the utility guy, you know. Then you have Ruff. Like, Darren Ruff is probably the wild card there. Like, they can, they can just mm-hmm. give up on him and move on and clear a spot. But, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think um, – I think at some point he's going to get involved and he's going to be a part of it, but I just don't know if he's going to get enough PT, but I do think he's going to be really solid, you know, and if he just worked with Tulo playing, uh, I don't know why he would go to see a shortstop to work on his defense. It's interesting, but um, maybe he'll do some, maybe he's working on his uh, similar body. Types, maybe? I know Tulo Tulo's a bigger dude. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Good luck. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Fish. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, I was going to uh, go over to Chris. Um, we kind of talked a little bit before we, uh, you know, started, uh, before we went live, essentially. Um, and I know that uh, as much as you and Ryan are on the same page with Brett Beatty, uh, I, Ryan is not uh, on board with your thought process here. So I'm a little <laughs> bit curious. Um, Vaughn Grissom. Uh, is he going to get a shot at shortstop? Is he going to be able to handle it? I guess um, Ryan doesn't uh, seem to think so. So, uh, what are your thoughts, Chris? Well, I would say Ryan's in the consensus of people that don't think so. It seems to be common thought that he's he can't, but I don't know. I mean, I've I've watched him a ton when he was in Rome in High A, and even I mean last year in Atlanta. I mean, you know, he didn't play shortstop, obviously, but. He, he's smooth enough to to make the plays, and he's not going to win a gold glove ever. I, I don't see that, but I think he's going to be serviceable at short. He's just a really good athlete all around. The arm is fine. Nothing special, but as I said, we were talking before, Dansby's arm was not good either. So Dansby moved well. Dansby was able to, to get in the holes, but he just he didn't have a good arm. So I think Grissom is going to make the plays, and – He's going to get the job done. And for me, it kind of goes back to the fact that, one, they didn't re-sign Dansby, which was a vote of confidence for Grissom. And two, that Ron Washington has been working with him all offseason, and he's been hyping him and saying, he's no, he's more than ready, like he's capable. And I just don't believe that Ron Washington, who is one of the best infield coaches in the game, would let Atlanta you know, put him out there short every day if he didn't think he was capable of it. And, you know, everything that I've seen, all the times I've watched him, like his glove is fine and he's going to be fine. Like an average fielder, sure, like better, probably not. But I think he can certainly handle it. He's definitely athletic enough. He's just a ball player all around. And we know the bat's good. Like if you have questions about what he did last year, if it's just fluky, like it's not. Like you look and you know, the, the contact skills are exactly what he had done his entire minor league career when you look at the overall contact. What kind of power does he get to? I guess is the question. And, you know, maybe he's a 15, 20 home run bat, but he's got the speed and the instincts on the base pass to steal 15, 20 bases. So, you know, he's usable. Like, I think maybe he's probably being a little overhyped from a fantasy perspective, but I still think he's a, a really solid bat. And I do think that the glove is is more than capable of playing a shortstop. Yeah, I'm just, you know, uh, I'm not a scout, obviously, so I'm not going to pretend to be. But I look at Vaughn Grissom's outs above average at second base in a decent amount, in a decent sample. 
Last year he played, you know, roughly 156 plate appearances. That's like uh, almost a third of a season. Um, and he was pretty bad at second base. And like you alluded to, he has a weak arm. So I'm thinking this guy couldn't play second base and he has a weak arm. How is he now going to play shortstop without the shift? And he's got Austin Riley next to him, who is a fine defender, but he's not like Matt Chapman. Um, so that's just where my concerns grew. But I guess, you know, actions speak louder because, like you said, the Braves haven't added anyone. So I, I would think they're pretty confident in no, unless unless you've heard some rumors that they're going to sign like Elvis Andrews or somebody <laughs> like that. Uh, no, it seems like they're com- fully committed to Grissom at this point. And there was just, you know, there was a video that came out on you know, MLB today about that, like with Washington and Grissom. So I think they're firmly committed to Tim being the guy at short. And I'm hoping they address left field, but <laughs> it doesn't seem like it. I'd rather them do that than and let Grissom play short. But looks like they're just going to roll Grissom at short. And then the left field position is going to be a odd platoon with like Rosario and and Marcelo Zuna, which is the weak spot on the field, but I guess if that you have one weak spot, like you, you can live with that. Yeah, no yeah, Sam Hilliard. I don't know. I'm actually intrigued by that. Like, I don't know yeah. if Hilliard can just be on the bench and be like a bench bat and you know platoon some, but he's interesting. Like, I don't know what he's like outside of cores, but we'll, we'll see. He's got the skills. I feel like the um, I feel like the Braves acquired him for a reason. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about Sam Hilliard for too long, but the skills just <laughs> pop other than the horrible strikeout rate. So I don't right. know. Maybe they maybe they see something in a swing they can fix. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it'd be nice. Twenty nine like already. Speed. That's so that wild. Is wild. Isn't that so now. wild? I was like, no yeah, way. I, I just looked at it. I, I thought. It, I know. I just looked and I thought. I in my head, I was like, maybe 26, 27. 29. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Wow. Let me just stay here uh, with with Chris for a second. Um, so the trade that sent William Contreras to the Brewers, and then yeah, you guys obviously acquired um, Murphy. Darnot is still there. Uh, how do you see the playing time shaking out? Is it going to be roughly a 50-50 split, or are you going to see are we going to see Darnod or one or or Murphy DH some? Like, how do you see the the PA shaking out there? Yeah, I think that's been another kind of overreaction a bit, and I think people forget that Travis Darnot's beat up all the time like he struggles to stay healthy so I think it benefits him significantly that he's able to to DH and I just don't see the Braves going out and making that trade if they weren't going to put Murphy behind the plate at least five days a week and obviously he's a good bat but they had good bats in Contreras and and Darno. but what you get Murphy for is because he's an elite glove and elite arm like with the with the rule changes like Murphy's one of the quicker pop times, like one of the better arms behind the plate. And the Braves had one of the worst caught stealing percentages last year among all teams, and Murphy was one of the higher ones in that. And so it's hard for me to imagine them actually going out and trading for him if they're not actually going to use him behind the plate. Now, I do think that Murphy's still probably you – know, last year he got 612 plate appearances, which is extremely good for a catcher. I think if we say 550, I think you got to be happy with that. And I think 550 is – a reasonable expectation just from the fact that he's going to DH when he's not behind the plate. And I think it's healthy for both of them for Darno and, and Murphy in that standpoint. But no, I, I still think Murphy's the everyday guy and you give him a couple of days off here and there, let Darno get behind the plate, but Darno is also going to DH too. And that's why it's going to be kind of a revolving door, I'd guess, because Ozuna probably gets some DH reps if he's not in the outfield. 
and you know he shouldn't be in left field. He's he's horrific in the field. So yeah. Ozuna's going to get reps. They're going to get Darno reps. Murphy's going to get reps when he's not behind the plate. But no, at the end of the day, like I still think Murphy gets 550 plate appearances at least, and maybe more. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Murphy this year, and the moving out of Oakland to a much, much better hitter's park and better lineup uh, should be yep. huge for him in fantasy. Yep. Um, Rob, going over to you, uh, David Peterson and Tyler Miguel. I have a feeling you're going to be higher on them than you were on Beatty and Alvarez. But um, give us your thoughts on McGill and Peterson. Do you think um, the Mets go to a six-man at any point? I know Verlander and Scherzer might throw a shit fit if they do, but given the age of the rotation <laughs> – how? What are you expecting out of McGill and Peterson this year? I don't think they'll go to a six-man unless they have to. Like if it fits something that they're trying to accomplish in a certain span of time, you know. Like, but I don't think they'll do it for more than a couple of weeks if needed. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, at some point we can expect some either injury or maybe some type of, you know, load management for Scherzer, if he would even consider that, but it might just be in his best interest to just not have to, you know, maybe even go deeper in the games or, you know, some, some sort of uh, keeping him a little fresher. He just like didn't really look great down the stretch um, strength wise, but, it's a, it's a really good staff, like Quintana, Carrasco. They're all going to throw innings, you know. Um, so I just think that, that they, like Tyler McGill and David Peterson, find their innings when, you know, they have to sub in for a guy for injury or whatever. They just take a turn, like a, a turn in the rotation. But I think it just comes in, in flows of, of when they need them. So it's hard to project their innings, man. It's just really – because every team's going to need, you know, at least six, seven pitchers at some point. Um, but yep. I, I I, have more um, – I've been getting some more of McGill um, in my drafts. It seems like he goes a lot uh, later when I draft than Peterson goes, which is, um, I mean, pretty odd. They're not that far in ADP. They're like 20 spots, but – I feel like when I draft, McGill is usually available, um, like in the 430s, 440s. So I'm more inclined to take that shot uh, than with Peterson. Peterson, I think, like, he just showed a level of, I don't know, skill. I mean, if you look at the metrics and you just look like everything under the hood, you see that there's some warts. But I think, like, the success is driven by a pitch that may not be sustainable to, like, keep it keep up with dominance, you know, like, I don't know to, for him to get better. He's just going to have to throw the slider more. And I don't know how much more he can really throw it. Right. So I don't, I don't know. I, I think he's a little flawed, but I also see the upside. So I'm happy. They don't have to count on them for the innings. I like what they did with their staff. Um, I kind of wish they still had Bassett, but if Senga lands Otani, then I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take that. Good. No, I'm gonna say I'll take that trade off, but uh, yeah. No, 100. percent And I'm. Uh, it sounds like you agree, but I think McGill's more of a six starter, and Peterson's more of like a bulk bullpen arm. Um, Peterson just struggle. He struggles to throw strikes, and he's just never really gonna be a six inning arm. He's more of like a four or five inning guy. 
So I see him much more as like a reliever type, um, and McGill as like the backup starter. Um, mm, you're saying he's going to become like the next Oliver Perez? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it fits. Left-hander. Oh, Oliver Left Perez, slider. Uh, um, I mean, him so, and John. Him and John Main. Sorry, I don't mean like. Let's talk no. about that was a. They were pretty promising at one point too. John Main was uh, man. He he was really good. But yeah, sorry, I'm just going back on my Met days. <laughs> no, no, the main event, the classic Met. Um, but I was just going to ask you, uh, to start the year, what do you think those guys' roles are? Do you like, so let's say no one gets injured in spring training. Is McGill going to pitch out of the bullpen? Is he going to pitch in AAA? Um, have you heard anything about like what the roles are going to be in the beginning of the year? I think that, I think that they would definitely – not mind working them out of the pen, you know. Um, it's more of like a I don't know, like a Christian Javier esque role for McGill to start the year, maybe. Could be, yeah, you know. Um, and I like that they could keep them around, and they are versatile. That they could be the you know a couple innings out of the pen, and um, I mean, if Peterson is is like. A big time lefty, you know. I know they picked up Rayleigh, um, but I think they're gonna. You know, I think uh, a lot of people are under the impression that not like uh, lefty relievers will be like these all of a sudden coveted again, but like a little, you know, um, more needed to uh, beat the uh, non-available shift from the defense um, to get out lefty. So I. I I think they're gonna utilize both of them in some kind of swing role, some kind of Garrett Whitlock you know, flex role that they can go for three innings, you know, maybe, maybe pick up a three inning save, you know, if, if that's on the table too, I think it's possible with uh, McGill and his stuff. So um, I think they'll work out of the pen to start. I, I don't think that they'll send them down to the minors. And that makes them a lot easier to draft in DCs. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the thing you you know, you're going skills over role sometimes, you know, and I think at that point of the draft where the projections come a little less predictable, players are going there because they're a little less, you know, a little more volatile. So, you know, you just got to draft them with the hopes that you're drafting a good a good skill set and that at some point in the season you're going to need to plug in some pitchers. You know, you, you don't want to throw in Mike Miner at, at a Great American Small Park. Um because I did that way too much last year. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh, God. Those two starts are enticing. Uh, they just be like, oh, well, he's got one at home, but the one away is first Pittsburgh, man. He can't do bad, right? Yeah. And, and then, then, like, he, he gets... does decent in small park, and then he goes to Pittsburgh and gets smashed. And you're like, what? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Derek Carty said he was going to be $7 player this week. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Uh, so Rob, this is, this is like a perfect uh, opportunity to ask. Uh, so we're kind of getting into draft season right now. Um, you know, I've been in there for months, but uh, most people are just now getting in. You know, uh, what's uh, what's one tip you give to somebody that's just now entering into it, like a draft champions league? I say you get into a draft champions league if you listen to podcasts, if you're reading articles. Don't 
just you know if you hear third base it's uh is is terrible it's a black hole like you know don't just like just go look at it like Go look at it. I can't believe I said that, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, I, I always think of it. <laughs> but you just look at it. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just, just, just do your due diligence. Like go, go the, go the, go the distance. You know, just like, just, just like they told them in Feel the Dreams. Go the distance. You know, just do the next step that you need to do in your prep. Don't just believe everyone's word or just think of it like do a draft or check out ADP, punch it up in an auction calculator or something or I don't know, whatever you want to use. Bunch of good skills metrics, but just don't like don't just go out and listen to quick advice without doing it. I think that we all give we're trying to guide people in the best way, but um, we're all just trying to also tell people, you know, the process of getting to that, you know, end end um, prognosis or player evaluation or you know third base and outfield, just just do your research too, because um, I think it it really helps to like even if you I don't know like you can mock draft against yourself if you just like don't have a lot of money and you can't enter a whole bunch of DCs and you can only do one right, but if you just do one, make sure you're prepped and go get your fucking guys and blast it out of the park. 100 percent it's great advice um real quick chris uh you said you were in a you're a dc you're drafting right next to fish um is there any like one thing you've noticed like maybe like shortstop dries up starting pitching dries up at a certain point is there one thing about a position you've noticed uh hopping into dcs well shortstop's definitely you know i won't say it's deep it's loaded at the top but it actually bottoms out fairly quickly so if you don't get your guy, like the middle infield can get pretty thin, you know, as you move down the board. So I think that's it, honestly like a lot of positions feel scarce, which is weird to say, but you know, like third base feels pretty scarce to an extent. Like you have like the upper tier of guys and it drops down. You know, there's a, a big gap actually. You, know, you drop down to the next tier and it's really just like finding the guys you like in those tiers because if we go into it and say, well, I've got to get these positions because they're scarce, then it, it almost makes you like, you know, miss on other positions and end up not balanced when you just try to focus on that in some ways. So it's like finding the pockets of value, I guess, is important. But yeah, I, I have found that I think, especially in the, the DC format, like getting some outfielders early is important because if you don't, like you end up like it you know, pass pick 150 and you have two outfielders and you won't like any of the options that are fill out the rest of your lineup. So you're getting outfields important. And I also think like getting the middle infield spots is important too. So, so just find the pockets of value where you can, because they're there. You know, even if we want to say the position's quote scarce, like there are places to, to gain value throughout the draft at every position. So, and like Rob was saying, like, don't just trust people's word for it. Don't just follow ADP because following ADP just makes you average. So if you're going to follow that, yep. like you're just going to be an average player and you're never going to win. Like you, you may luck into some, some stuff here and there, but like, you know, don't be afraid to, to reach on somebody that you really believe in, you know, like that's, that's important. Like get your guys, like trust your gut and, and draft players that you feel like have to give you the best chance to win. Don't worry about what everybody else says. I actually love that yeah. line. I've never heard that before, but ADP makes you average. I love that. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a shirt, 100%. Yeah. Aver average yeah. draft position yeah. for a reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I love yeah. that. Um, no, sorry, Rob, are you going to say something? 
Yeah, I was I was gonna say like yeah, like third base is is so is so fascinating because the guys going later on in the two hundreds, mid two hundreds, later two hundreds is is you can just wait and grab those guys and and be pretty good or get Miguel Vargas right now two fifty, and he might be first and second and who knows maybe even third. You know right. you can uh, you don't have to jump that. Eugenio Suarez, you know, I think Matt Chapman is the only guy I would go near in that like range, but there's a whole bunch of vets going later that can provide value. Like, I don't know why Jose Miranda's going to 145 when Justin Turner is probably going to outstat him all across the board. And he goes 100 picks later. I said the same you know? exact thing in our third base pod. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah. It's it, and and that's the thing. Like, you know, and maybe some. Some podcasts might not go as deep as, you know, how we like to get deep and they might only like listeners might listen to another pod and just hear like, you know, the top half of the draft and not knowing that, yeah, you you don't have to force it if you're comfortable with Deontay Diaz and, and Justin Turner. Um, Cause I think they'll, they'll just going to be great value at those spots. And um, it is interesting. I mean, all the, like the positions and the flow of ADP this year compared to last year has been pretty wild like last year there was a huge power run in the 200s and now all the batting average guys are in that range you know like like the martes mcneils arias it's 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 funny how when you look at the flow of the draft and you look at all the different things that everyone doing like the these pockets of players that are falling into trends that we're creating you know it's it's pretty wild so just be a like like chris said just pay attention to it but don't you know don't like be a slave to it Oh, shit, sorry, you can't say that these days. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, last question though, and and Rob, again, you can chime in uh, after Chris, but because I know obviously you're a big DC player, but Chris, um, being a dynasty prospect guy, um, give us two under the radar prospects or even just younger players that you think are going to make an impact this year uh, that you would take in a DC. With just the Braves or in general? No, just in general. Like any okay. under the radar, like guys that are going later that you think could really pop. That's good because the Braves don't have those guys at all. So <laughs> I'll pull up my list real quick. Uh, certainly, you know, you have all the big name prospects everybody wants to draft, but you know, on the flip side, like I think there is value to be had when you can find those guys that that aren't as well known and if you get them super late in a dc like those things are important like last year like grabbing george kirby like you know rounds 45 and beyond like that's just ridiculous value and i think the interesting concept is like well how are teams going to be with prospects like we saw them be really aggressive last year overall and i think a lot of people say well it's the new rules but also like i look at on the the other side and say, well, the lost COVID year with prospects, like, you know, really, you know, changed that dynamic. It's like, all right, these guys are just ready because, you know, they didn't have 2020, you know, that year was gone. They were doing a lot of work at the outside, et cetera, and have a full season in 2021 and they were just ready. So I don't know if we'll see the like big boom of prospects again. That class last year was just pretty stellar and there's going to be guys, but, I'm I'm a big fan of Curtis Mead. I'm not really sure where he's going in DCs. The biggest, you know, deterrent with him is that he's on the Rays and the Rays are just gonna like platoon the crap out of everybody and never give anybody a full chance. But but Mead's just 
really under the radar where like he's like a rare elite like blend of power and speed and you know the game power hasn't really lived up to it but it's like minor league data is just absolutely insane when you look at like the contact versus like the evs he's like just you know chop like top of the charts like when you combine those two so if Meade gets a chance in in tampa and like i do think he's more than ready for it then he could be a sneaky one where he really pops off some good value and i know he's like you know a more known prospect so you know just kind of like looking a little bit deeper like no, I mean, Meade has a 530 ADP, so, I mean, that's plenty yeah. deep. okay. And, that's... and he's going, actually, right in the last month of drafts, he's going right next to Manzardo. Yeah. And I know Manzardo's a stud, but I would much rather, like, take a shot on Meade, who has already performed in AAA, opposed to, opposed to Manzardo. I don't know. You feel earlier, like earlier in the season, in the draft season, it was a bigger gap, too. Um, Manzardo was going mm-hmm. a lot earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely fell. Manzardo's, you know, barely made it to double A versus, like you said, Meade. Meade would have had a good bit of time in triple A if he hadn't been hurt last year. So I, I think that Meade's like on that cusp of breaking through. It's just like, what are the Rays actually going to do? Is my question. Like, are the Rays just going to end up like, you know, being the Rays or are they actually going to, you know, let him go? And I hope like he's one of those guys that's like talented enough, like just let him play every day and see what he can do because. He should be an everyday player, but the Rays just have so few guys that are actually everyday players. So this one, my next guy is, you know, he's an interesting one because he's on the Marlins and he's a pitcher. His name's Jake Eater. And I don't know where he fits is the problem because despite the Pablo Lopez trade, like they still got a rotation of five solid arms. Like the question is like, does Cueto actually like eat innings for him, or does he just kind of fall out? Like, what does Sixto do? I'm not really sure, but you know, Jake Eater was a massive breakout in, in 2021 before he had Tommy John surgery, and he's back fully healthy now. He didn't pitch last year, but there's the question marks of you know what he looks like coming back, but his fastball slider combo are elite, and I think there was some tangible improvements like with his command in 2021. Now that could be touch and go as he comes back from TJ, but he may not even be drafted. And he's like just a 50th round guy just to take a shot on because, you know, inevitably like there's going to be injuries like with, with any team and eater could get a chance. I think that he's more than ready. Like they pushed him out of the draft straight to double a, which showed like they drafted him in 2020 in the fourth round out of Vanderbilt. And they liked him so much. They sent him straight to double a, which is pretty telling to me. Like, when you debut and you go to double A and he dominated double A, like that was the only chance we've seen him as a pro with 71 innings. He had a one seven seven ERA sub one whip 35% K in double A. And that was your first taste of pro ball. Like that, that speaks a lot of volume to me. And I, I just think that if he can return to somewhat to, to, to form after Tommy John, then I think there's a chance that he could get some reps. And even if it's a long relief role, like with the Marlins, then there's a lot to like here in, in Eater. Yeah, I actually have him on a ton of dynasty leagues, and I haven't yeah. really thought about drafting him in a DC. But that's a that's an interesting pull because, like you said, uh, Sixto is Sixto just seems shot, and Quato's Quato's so. what 37 <laughs> years old, so it's easily possible that you know Eater maybe gets a, a chance later in the year. Uh, Rob, you want to give us you want to end us off on a high note? Give us um, one under the radar prospect that you're looking at at DCs. You want a couple of meatball parmesans? You got yeah, it. Give, a, give us one. 
right, I, it, and, all right. So this I've been drafted in five leagues. That's it. Five draft champions league this whole season. Um, wow. He's on the Chicago White Sox. He's a catcher. His name is Carlos Perez. Um, 26-year-old journeyman catcher. Um, highest home run total in the minors was two up until 2021. He had 13 last year. He had 21 jacks. He had an 8% strikeout rate to a 7% walk rate. And I think that Grandal is, is, is washed up. And this kid's going to come up and hit like fucking Paul LaDuca. <laughs> uh, I was not expecting that. Awesome. You'll laugh. Yep. I actually have Carlos Perez on, on my 30 team dynasty league. Um, Fuck yeah, man. Look at that hit tool. Yeah, like, all of a sudden, too, thought, like he I'm, did something yeah, change, too, you, you know? Yeah, and it's just uh-huh. it's 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 pretty it's pretty interesting, you know. Um, I like it. I think it's a I think it's a really desperate shot, but I think that um, you can literally take him so far <laughs> down in the draft that it could be a fiftieth round pick. Um, and some of the um, some of the you know stat uh, uh, cast data or. Um, plate discipline that it just seemed like his zone contact was like through the fucking roof. And I just feel like um, he'll get a shot at some point at this year to uh, be a decent um, catcher stab when you need a, a catcher. The other guy I'm going with um, hasn't been picked in any draft, but I'm, I'm this is how bold I'm going to be. I don't know if anyone, Oh shit. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Bobby big bucks is in the league. He's probably watching this, right? <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> All right, Bob, it's placeholder zero one. That's who the guy is. Okay, I have to look. I have to look first. I fucking I don't even care. Aaron Zavala on Texas Rangers. Um ended up in double A last year where had pretty good pretty good stats across the board. Five homers, four steals, and 139 plate appearances, but 15% walk rate at 18% walk rate and a high A um, before that. And I think that if at any point Leody Tavares struggles um, and he starts off in AAA, I don't know if that's too aggressive. Chris could probably, you know, squash my dreams there real quick. But um, I don't know. There might be a path for, you know, for some. And this is like strictly for like, these prospects you're hoping like maybe they get a shot in the second half, you know, um, when, when all, all your Mark Connors and all the meatball palms who are on the IL and this kid comes up, he gives you a little spark. But, uh, so yeah, two really one guy's undrafted. So Bob, if you, if you pick him, I mean, good for you, man. Good for you. You deserve it. I don't want to burst your bubble on Zavala, but he had a UCL injury in the Arizona fall league. He didn't have TJ. Yeah, he didn't have TJ, but he's they say he's gonna be out till at least like June. So I don't okay, know. Like perfect. all right. All right, yeah. September. September. Yeah, so just save you a drink. Bobby. Pick him up, Bobby. Yeah, you got him, Bobby. Go <laughs> get him, Bob. But oh, I do well. love Zavala. I, I'm a big fan of Zavala. I just hate that okay. that injury ended his right. AFL stint. So yeah, man, I gotta I gotta I, I gotta get back on mine in my news. Shit. <laughs> <sighs> would have been yeah, no. 50 on picks here, man. Can't do that. All right, he's off. 
<laughs> we need we need mining the prospect news. Yeah, we absolutely. mining the prospect news, man. You said that live. It's gonna be out by tomorrow. Podcast <laughs> yeah. tomorrow morning is gonna be mining the prospect news. Yeah, Jay's Hold on, I'm uh, I'm logging into Anchor right now. Hold on, create <laughs> new profile. I gotta set up a Gmail first. Mining the prospect at gmail dot com. Here we go. We're on our way, Ryan. We'll start it. We'll start it in the morning, all right? Perfect. All right. I'll get up, I'll get up nice and early. Do some research. <laughs> mining, mining the prospects news in the morning while having coffee. We could make it a, like a really long title, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do it like Jerry Seinfeld, and you know he takes he takes the guys around in his cars. You know, we we can drive around through Jersey and um, you know, talk about prospect news. See, like we're, we're just constantly creating content right here. Just crazy ideas flowing out of our brains. Content, content is king. <laughs> Fun content is even better. Yes. Yeah. Throw meatballs at people. Well, fellas, good stuff. Um, this is awesome. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Um, Chris, we'll start with you and let everybody know where they can find you. Yep. So I'm on Twitter at Roto Clegg. Most of all my stuff goes there. You know, I'm at Pitcher List, you know, leading the Dynasty team there. Also, recently launched my own thing, uh, the Dynasty Dugout, where I'm doing a ton of Dynasty and prospect work. So it's a Substack. So find that uh, dynastydugout.substack.com. So that's where all my work is. Awesome. Awesome. Rob, how about you? Um, yes. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you guys for having us. Thank you, uh, Chris. It's always fun. Yeah. Hanging out with you, man, as well. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter. Uh, I got the Pull Hitter podcast going. Um, we're doing some player team dives, uh, just you know, going through some deeper ADP of of every team and every division, just trying to hit on some guys that maybe we're not thinking about later on in DCs. And um, you know, still getting a, a guest on a week with talking about the strategy, just uh joined forces with Rob Silver and Jeff Zimmerman. We're going to be doing the Launch Angle podcast again, so that should be out first one on Thursday. If you subscribe to Launch Angle, it's still going to be in your feed, um, so it'll pop up if you stayed sub to it. Um, yeah, so sit and having fun um, talking to you guys, all these wonderful people that we get to, you know, that we're blessed to talk to, you know? I love it. Um, I think we're part of something special. And um, kind of like the little young young crew coming up, you know, and uh, we're, we're ready to take over. Watch out. Absolutely. I yeah, sound like no. Shaq. Watch out. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, uh, the launch angle pod coming back. That was always uh, in the rotation for me. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you all next time. Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode. Ryan and I really appreciate the support. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Pile of Dial. Ryan is at Ven underscore Armbarn. In the words of the living legend Drake, wish you would learn to love people and use things and not the other way around. Peace!